Yes, us. Welcome to the Kefi Life Podcast. My name is Kiki Vale, and I'll be your guide to creating a life of Ola Kala, all is well. Together, we'll get back to the basics, and we'll explore fresh new ways to flourish in mind, body, and soul the Greek way. You can look forward to interviews, stories, essential self-care strategies, recipes, and actionable takeaway Ola Kala moments. This is going to be so much fun. Let's get going. Pame! Our lexi for today is skepsis, skepsis, or thoughts. Profoundly enough, our skepsis are more important than facts. The things we think about, the things we envision, are the things that will materialize. Research has found that positive thinking can aid in stress management and even plays an important role in overall health and well-being. Negative thinking signals the body's immune response. A positive attitude or positive skepsis, or thoughts, can improve your immune system. Finally, positive thinking people are happier and less likely to engage in unhealthy behaviors. Happiness promotes success in health, work, and relationships. Skepsis, they determine the direction your life is taking. This is Kira Moran, President of Kingdom Farms and proud sponsor of Cafe Life. Kingdom Farms provides organic meats, poultry, and fish throughout the USA. Kingdom Farms has been blessed for 52 years with providing the highest quality foods to all our customers. Please contact Kingdom Farms for your culinary needs at www.kingdomfarms.com. Love your food, love yourself with the healing powers of Kefi Life Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Cold extraction, Kalamata olives from the Peloponnese, Greece, this liquid gold, provides nutrition to your salads, veggies, dips, proteins, and yes, even your skin. Kefi Life Extra Virgin Olive Oil is an anti-aging wonder food that tastes good, feels sensational, and it has a profound way to express who you are, a person of vibrance, longevity, and well-being. I invite you to experience this food that I call a gift from the earth, Kefi Life Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Visit us now, kefilife.shop, and get your yummy bottle of healthy elixir, the best olive oil from our growers in Greece, to your personal home for your personal wellness. Visit kefilife.shop for kefilife extra virgin olive oil. That's kefilife.shop. The Kefi Life is here today to inspire you to make your best effort at being proactive with your life and your well-being. How so? Well, the experts suggest that so much of your wellness begins with your thoughts and how they transmit a feeling, an energy, and sometimes even an illness. Especially in today's climate, we're struggling with embracing positive thoughts and directing ourselves healthfully. I've invited an expert in the specialty of psychology, Dr. Alex Patakis, also known as Dr. Meaning, and the founder of Global Meaning Institute. He's an Army veteran, a professor, a TED speaker, a TED Talk talker. And uh, he's also, as I found out in the green room, feels very blessed to be giving the message of hope today. And he's dedicated his life to not complaining. Well, wow, that's a big one. That's a, <laughs> that's that's a, a tall order, if you will. Absolutely. Welcome. It's so great to have you back. Thank you so much for having me back. It's my pleasure, my honor. Uh, Dr. Alex, you've written a series of books, and we're going to learn more about the message found within those today and how to navigate through life optimistically or at least meaningfully. And um, before we had this conversation today, I've, you know, I've read a lot about you. I've heard a lot about your work and so thrilled to connect now. And you're a powerhouse in the field of meaning, 
discovering purpose and guiding people to live well through your speaking. Let's talk about Prisoner of Your Thoughts. It's your book. It's um, it's the the best meaning life book of all time by Book Authority. That's pretty terrific. Yes. Yeah, actually, the number one on that list is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. So not surprised. So just to be in that same category, uh, uh, that group, is, is, is quite an honor. Um, okay, well, let me first say the book's the title is actually plural. It's Prisoners of Our Thoughts because we're all potentially prisoners, right? Okay. And uh, it's funny. I've been, I've been in places like airports and so forth where somebody would say, ask me a question. I say, oh, yeah, I wrote, well, which, what's the book you wrote? And I said, well, one of them is called Prisoners of Our Thoughts. And if it was a gentleman, he'd say, oh, my wife could use that. <laughs> or if it's, a, if it's a woman, oh, my husband could use that. Um, we, you know, we all at some point have been prisoner of our thoughts, and we also hold other people prisoner in our thoughts. Um, the title, obviously, is very unique because on the one hand, it's catchy, but it also reflects the fact that Viktor Frankl personally urged me to write it. The first, It's in the third edition now. And when he personally urged me, when I really was thinking about his own life and the fact that he was a prisoner in four Nazi concentration camps. So it's a play on... on on that experience that obviously was very powerful and very memorable and meaningful for me. And it was also something that could, could be catchy in a, in a, in a contemporary context. Um, it's about the search for meaning. And um, it's about uh, not just the ability as Victor Frankl is well known for uh, choosing our attitude in times of stress and times of suffering, et cetera. But it's about, as you, you I think in the green where we talked a little bit about the word optimism, Victor Frankl was an advocate of what he called true optimism. And a true optimist can do really basically three steps or three, three characteristics of a true optimist. The first one is, is being able to have a positive affirmation. So the, the ability to affirm that you will get through this. We will get through the COVID uh, pandemic. We will, I will get a new job. I will eventually find you know, a relationship that's, uh, that's authentic and meaningful for me. The second step is about, is about being a creative visualizer, to visualize all right, what a potentially future positive uh, situation would be like for you. So first, you've got to affirm that there's something out there better than where you are today or something that you would like to achieve. That's that aim, that purpose. Second is to visualize what that might look like. And then the third one is really being able to be passionate, passionate which as Greeks and people of Greek heritage and Mediterranean, we have that passionate spirit, but it's being passionate enough to take action. It's not enough to dream. You know, as we say in our book, Prisoners of Our Thoughts, the best way to realize your dreams is to wake up. So you can't just, yeah. so, so, it's, so it's very important for us to be able to actually do something about our dreams. Oh, that's good. Uh, and so the idea behind meaning is that Victor Frankl said, well, there's a seed of meaning in everything. And so the purpose of our journey, if you will, is to continue to search because we're not going to find meaning if we don't look for it. And so the book Prisons of Our Thoughts lays out seven core principles that are, uh, the, are the foundation of Viktor Frankl's system of psychotherapy, which he called logotherapy. And so that's the essence of it. Uh, I wrote the first and second editions, and then my wife, Elaine Dundon, co-authored the third edition, so the book is a lot better now. Uh, <laughs> it's in 23 languages. Uh, it's, uh, it's been picked up uh, for video, uh, a film uh, in, uh, in, in Asia. Uh, so it's, it's, got a, it's got a lot of recommendations, and we're really proud of its uh, its ability to impact people. That's the main thing. It's if people can actually read something and actually do something with it, uh, then we've done our job. And sort of, uh, so it's sort of like a handbook. Yeah, it, exactly. It's very practical. Uh, and, it, and it really puts a psychotherapeutic system 
into the mainstream. So you don't have to go to a therapist, you know, which initially was a, was a challenge because initially um, psychotherapists, psychiatrists would say, well, wait a minute, that's pop psychology. You're taking my clients away from me, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and I remember giving a speech, uh, a keynote speech before the book first came out. And I was talking about prisons of our thoughts. And after the conference, uh, after my keynote, I went up to the conference organizer. And I said, what'd you think of my keynote? And he said, well, hmm, it was interesting. And of course, when somebody says it's interesting, you kind of wonder, what are they thinking? What are they really thinking? And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you're, uh, you're like the Tony Robbins of psychotherapy. Oh and I know, that, I know when he said that, it wasn't really supposed to be a compliment, but I took it as a compliment. Well, anyway, two years later at the same conference, Tony Robbins and his entourage showed up. And of course, everybody at the conference was all like, wow, wow, wow. So, you know, I wasn't there at that time, but it was really interesting that two years earlier, uh, I was kind of like almost criticized for doing this self-help, helping people find meaning in their life rather than going to a psychiatrist or a uh, psychotherapist. Well, I think it's just, well, you know, using tools, finding out what the tools are. Some of the simplest things, like you just said, wake up. Okay. Simple as that. Like, are we going to walk through life like a zombie or are we going to walk through life? Like I appreciate this. And as you said earlier, I don't want to complain. I want to inspire people. So there's a lot to be said about how to use those tools that are maybe basic for some people, but for others complicated. What are some of those that you talk about in your book, Prisoners of Our Thought? Okay. I'll, I'll give you two right now as examples, but I think that what's, what's important to recognize here too, is that the tools don't necessarily mean that we're not saying that, okay, if you do need to go to a therapist, obviously go. I mean, we're not, of course. not trying, right? but not everybody needs to go. Not everybody needs to be in that one, in that uh, one-on-one or a group therapy session. And I think that's one of the benefits that I've tried to bring to Victor Frankl's legacy is to, because he didn't really have a lot of people that were out there promoting that work like Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud and so forth. Uh, two, two specific tools I think that would be helpful. One of the first, the first principle in the book, but one of the most important areas that Victor Frankl is known for is his ability to choose his attitude, the freedom to choose your attitude. And so there's an exercise in Prisons of Our Thoughts called the 10 Positive Things. And basically it's saying whenever you uh, confront a negative situation or a challenging, stressful situation, then sit down and make a list of 10 positive things that would result from or related to that situation. And if you can't come up with 10, you know, ask your, your spouse, your kids, your you know, your friends, your coworkers. And, and actually, in some cases, I've seen people come up with hundreds on a list. Uh, to, and then basically, when you, when you do that list, it helps shift your attitude. It helps shift your, your perspective and your energy so that you don't you see the possibilities. And then it also allows you to maybe come up and have a, a kind of a, a springboard to take action to reverse some of the situations. So, for example, you lost your job. You got fired. Well, you start making a list. What are the 10 positive things that I lost my job today? Well, now I get a chance to do something I really, really want to do. Or I really hated the job in the first place. I was just afraid to quit. I mean, there are a lot of things. And then you can start to shift that, that focus of attention to something that actually will help benefit you and your well-being. Because one of the things that we've learned from our research at the Global Meeting Institute is that from, from the core of meeting, we're literally as a key driver for engagement, resilience, well-being, and health, and also performance and innovation. So the idea is the more that we can see what that core meaning is, that, that sense of meaning that, that work and per, our personal lives bring us, we're much more likely to stay engaged in life. We're much more likely to increase our resilience. And then we can help advance our well-being and health. And then obviously be better workers, be better spouses, whatever. So, so that's, a, that's one. It's called the, the 10 positive things exercise. The second one I call existential digging. 
And this is basically every time you come up with a situation, again, these are usually things that are stressful or challenges because if everything's going hunky-dory and everything's great, nobody cares, right? They're just going to keep <laughs> on going. Right. So all of a sudden we hit a, a bump on the road. So existential digging asks you asks four questions. And I'm asking you know, your, your listeners to, to think about these four questions. Number one, when you have a situation that's stressful or challenging, the first thing is, what did you do about it? You know, how did you respond behaviorally? Okay. Well, you know, my, uh, my, my child, uh, teenager, you know, talked back at me. And the first thing I did is slap him or I slammed the door or I ran home or whatever. I ran out the door, say, you know, at work maybe or something. So what did you do behaviorally? Second question, next level of digging is, is how'd you feel about it? Make a list of the, the words, the emotions you had. I felt angry. I felt depressed. I felt elated. I felt anxious. You know, obviously with COVID, you know, a lot of these feelings are cropping up all over the place. And then the third level, which is the next level of depth, is that what you learn from that situation. Okay, so the learning. A lot of us, we can make a list. Well, I learned, you know, to, to uh, be more calm about things. To, I learned to sit on my hands and not respond right away and you know, count to 10. I mean, whatever it may be. I mean, I learned how to be uh, drive more carefully, you know, rather than getting road rage. Whatever, whatever it may be. There's, there are examples in the book. And then the fourth level uh, of existential digging, which is the hardest one for people, is that now that you got this learning, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to do to grow and develop as a result of that learning? So many of us, we spend time going to workshops, seminars, reading books, and all we do is we get to the learning level. And so oh, I learned a lot about it from this workshop. I learned a lot in the seminar. What do you do about it? We got to take action again, right? And That's it's not enough. So I know I have clients that I've worked with over the years where they've gone to probably every, like, as you, as you know, I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is a health and wellness center. I know people that have gone to probably every workshop you can imagine for self-help and they're the still same miserable person today as they were 25 years ago. I think you so, said something. I think it was something about you can change, but you need to grow. I think yes. I got that from you. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. The idea is, is that you can change without growing, but you can't grow without changing. That's also in our book. So everybody read the book and you'll get, get all these wonderful quotes. These are all little pearls of wisdom, these nuggets, right? But they come from reality. And it's not just research. It's not just academic research, although we've done that as well. It's about life experience. And everybody has these life experiences. And one of the beauties of Prisons of Our Thoughts in the second and third edition is that the book, the first edition, had vignettes that I had to make up to give examples of what it could be like or tell a story of somebody who I'd never met. The second and third editions actually have examples of people who read the book. Wonderful. Okay. So this way here, you can see, okay, so, you know, there's stories in there about the 10 positive things from a, a, one, of, one of the people that I had contact with whose wife uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and how she helped him do the 10 positive things exercise because he was feeling despondent and depressed, her husband. And so these are real examples from readers who practice the principles in the book. Fantastic. On the cover of your book, is that a picture of a basil? Uh, you, mean the, the, you mean the plant that's coming yeah. through? Yeah. I, actually, I don't know what the plant is. Oh, it looks, I, it looks like basil. It looks like basil. It, it could be basil. I mean, I've had people trying to tell me what it is. Is it a drug <laughs> or whatever? It's, it's interesting because the first cover of the book, the first edition, had two silhouette people on a bridge. And it looked like they were overlooking this ice uh, river or a lake. And I had so many people write and say, that's so depressing. Are these people going to jump off the bridge? Oh, God. So, so I asked the publisher to change it. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it's very appealing. Okay, quickly in our rela- in remaining moments. Well, I have okay. two questions. One about Viktor Frankl. You had, I heard an interview with you where you said that his camps in the Holocaust were a field testing 
Yes. He, he, he was being tested. So I want to know what you meant by that. And then okay. finally, just kind of like a snapshot of the book, The Opal Way. The Opal Way, okay. Real quickly here. See, I can tell you, this is this could go on for a long time. We, for we days, really need, weeks. We need to spend more time together, Katie. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. Um, Victor Frankl, uh, I, I think what's what's important, what was that question again? The first one Oh, I said that in one of the interviews I heard with you, you said something about Victor Frankl said his camps were a field test. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Okay, a lot of people think that that Victor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning when he was in the camps, and he did not. It, actually, that was not his, his first, really his first book, Manuscript. He had, a, he had and he had, uh, the Nazis took away a manuscript that he had hidden in his coat when he entered the camps. And then he reconstructed the manuscript from uh, during his time, that little piece of paper that he was able to get. A lot of people think that he wrote Man's Search for Meaning, that that was the manuscript that was in his coat. That was not. The manuscript that was in his coat that he actually uh, eventually wrote and published, the title of the book in English is The Doctor and the Soul. So, so, and then he wrote Man's Search for Meaning after, the, after uh, he was liberated from the camps, and that became obviously this, this international bestseller, even though, interestingly enough, in the beginning, nobody really thought much about it. Actually, the publisher, when the, and the book came out in German, initially, which is now Man's Search for Meaning, they only published 100 copies because they thought the publisher thought nobody wanted to read it. So now, you know, now with almost, you know, moving on 20 million copies sold, I mean, it shows you some, they were kind of off on that prediction. So, so basically, the idea being is that when he was all the way back to high school, Victor Frankl had been talking about the search for meaning. They actually published a paper uh, at the request of Sigmund Freud, because they were both in Vienna, Austria. And Dr. Frankl's ideas about meaning and the search for meaning were kind of field tested when he went to the camps, because all the things he thought about about how you find meaning. When he went into the camps, it was like, my gosh, he's got he's to actually practice this if he's going to survive. And that's why I was saying it's a field test. It wasn't like he went into the camp and came up with the ideas. He had his ideas prior to going, prior to the Nazis invading Austria. Is that a lot of those ideas then were, were he was forced to, to really implement them in his own life when he went into the camps. So that's what he, that I meant about field testing his ideas that began as far back as high school, his high school years. Kind of a manifestation, if you will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. In our remaining moment, yes. quick snapshot of the Opal Way. Okay. Well, you know, Elaine and I spent about seven years in Greece uh, working on this book. Um, this is prior to the, obviously, the COVID, prior to the refugee crisis. It was, it was, we actually started prior to the financial crisis. You, you, know, you remember not long ago, and you were in the news, uh, you know, Greece was the culprit for causing the global economic crisis. Remember that? Yeah. And, and people in the United States and the media would say, oh, my God, let's not turn out like Greece. Yeah. So Greek, poor little Greece is getting accused of all this stuff. Right. But anyway, as it turns out, we were there then. And we started, we, I remember being in in, uh, in a taverna with Elaine, and we just were just so impressed with just the spirit of the people, even though they were like, you know, their life was challenging and everything else, even before the crisis. Then the crisis hit, and the economic crisis, and all of a sudden, you know, they had, you know, capital controls and all this other stuff. And they were still joyful. They were still dancing. They were still, they always had time for coffee. They always had time to get together. And so at that point, we just said, you know what, we have to, we have to capture this spirit and we have to bottle it and we have to bring it back to the United States and North America and share it around the world. So that's where, really where the concept came from. In 2010, and, uh, and while, we, while we were there, we were doing studies about where OPA might have come from, the concept, because all of a sudden, you know, we, we saw people you know, around dancing and they're going, Opa, Opa. You know, and you, know, you see this in movies, somebody breaks a plate or whatever. We said, we got to do something with this idea of Opa. 
And so that's what brought us on the path to do the research. We ended up creating an acronym that's uh, basically stands for Others, Purpose, and Attitude, which relate closely to Victor Frankl's ideas. And we actually incorporated the OPA concept in the third edition of, the, of OPA, of, of Prisons of Our Thoughts. So the OPA way actually has found its way into Prisons of Our Thoughts. And it's in a way, from my end, it's, it's, a, it's a way to advance Victor Frankl's life and legacy by taking the seven principles of logotherapy, and now we've condensed them into three core lessons that are that are called OPA, you know, others, purpose, attitude. And the reason that's important, and again, I'm, I'm really giving this very superficial treatment, but that the word OPA is not just something, it's a concept in, in, in the Greek language, but it's also something that's easy for people to say regardless of their mother tongue. So we've given speeches and so forth in Asia and so forth where, you know, where English is not their first language, yet they can always say OPA. And when you say OPA, and we, and we encourage people to say OPA, not like OPA, but OPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, OPA. It raises the spirit just by, oh, yeah. by saying it. And so that's part of what we're trying to do here with this. And explaining to people how this notion from OPA, which we trace back to the pre-Socratics, uh, we incorporate myth, Greek mythology, the culture, you know, living in the village, philotimo, uh, I mean, evemonia. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we have all these things that are in the book that are related to things that go back thousands of years. And we're saying, you know, can we just learn this stuff now? We're in the 21st century. We don't need to be the Jetsons. Let's just do what the Greeks did. And that's why these articles uh, that you've been referring to earlier, uh, where they came from. Fantastic. Well, I, I can't wait to read the Opal Way. I have not done so yet. But now you've really inspired me to do so. And if folks want to, because I'm sure they're very inspired by your talk today or our conversation, how will they get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach you or to uh, find out more about you? Well, our general website is uh, www.globalmeaninginstitute, all one word, globalmeaninginstitute.com. And uh, there's there's contact information in there in terms of a, a contact form as well as email address, et cetera. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from people. And obviously, we're all together. We're on planet Earth. We're in the universe. We're all, we're all on the search for meaning. You know, whether we are conscious of it or not, ultimately, we all are. And especially given the nature of where we are today in the world, people are really looking and they're struggling with a lot of challenges. And the meaning message uh, is inspirational and aspirational at the same time. Well, let's keep our uh, OPA meaning of spirited, that spirited meaning up. Sure. And we thank you so much for uh, all your wisdom today. Thank you, Kiki, so much. Stay right there. Up next, your weekly takeaway to keep it all as well. Hola, Kala. This Hola, Kala moment brought to you by the law offices of Liston and Centillus, ranked number one by the Leading Lawyers Network since 2010, taking care of all your real estate needs. Today, Dr. Patak has suggested that we can change without growing, but we cannot grow without changing. One example which parallels this is the one of a job promotion. In order to get one, increase your salary, or achieve success in the workforce, you must change your knowledge base. To gain and grow and be olakala all as well as you make strides to live fully, consider attending a seminar. Maybe get certified in a specialty, but by all means, advance your education and keep improving yourself inside and out. Kiki Vale is the founder of Kefi Life. She is passionate about whole person wellness and living a fulfilled life. Her Kefi Life podcast is created to simply and naturally help you harmonize the mind, body, and soul the Greek way. Visit kefilife.com 
at KefiLight365 on Instagram, and check out Kiki Vale on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Join us again next time for more positive energy and inspiration on Kefi Life.